There's a whole crowd of men out there who need this. Welcome to the case study. This case study will be marked down in time. Known to all as the record keeper of the historic rise of the woke man. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Actually, welcome, gentlemen. I don't know if any women will be listening to this, but quite frankly, I don't care. What I want is to see the change in man. Yes, that's hurt. The change in man. This is the Woke Man series, where you hear the stories of men who changed, who laid to rest their old ways of thinking, and who opened up and started expressing their truth. Revealing emotion, strengthening their self-awareness, and breaking free from the old paradigm of being a man. This is going to help men find the courage to open up, to break the shackles of toxic masculinity, and to guide them home in becoming a better man. Let's go. Oh, by the way, it's Luca. Luca Reedy. From the Feeling Alive podcast. And The Woke Man is a sub-series. You're welcome. Welcome back to The Woke Man series, ladies and gentlemen, the greatest case study on man where we look at the conscious journey and how we all, as men, go from unconscious to conscious. Well, not all of us just yet. This is for those who are just beginning this journey to see that our other brothers have walked the path and we're going to shine the light so you can walk on it too. And I'm here with my man, Nick. Brother, thanks for joining me. Thank you, Luca. How are you, man? Bloody good, man. Bloody good. We've had a few little Wi-Fi issues. Um, Bali to Berlin. It's it's making it a little difficult, but we're working through it. We'll get there. We'll, we'll get, get there. there. Brother, man, first question is, where did you grow up? Because you've got an Aussie accent and you currently live in Berlin. So where did you grow up and how did you get to Berlin? Uh, grew up in Melbourne most part of my life and then... Ended up in Perth to study, met my girlfriend, followed her to New York for a couple of years and then we were there during the financial crisis and uh, that was kind of the beginning of an interesting phase of life. So we ended up moving to Berlin after that. Wicked, and wicked man. Yeah. And how old are you now? 37. Yeah, cool. And so what are you doing for a living, a living right now? Uh, well, I was working in the architecture game up until Corona, yeah. um, but for the last few years, I've been kind of edging my way out of it and just falling back into it because of the financial kind of security. And then Corona for me was actually an incredibly beautiful thing, and it just really it was that last little step that I needed to kick me out yeah. and. Um, the job that I was working on ended and it forced me to go deeper onto my path and deeper into service. And um, at the moment I'm coaching, I hold men's circles uh, and work with plant medicine. And um, yeah, it's uh, it's one of those things that just kind of came to me. And uh, despite the resistance 
allowing it to happen, it just kept on coming to the point where I just really couldn't couldn't deny it any longer. Yeah, wow. So you're going to be stepping into that more full time. That's the yeah. goal. That's the calling you feel? Um, yeah, it's definitely the purpose is this um, assisting men. Basically, the, the podcast that you've got, you know, I've been through that phase of there is a better way, but I don't mm-hmm. know what it is. And I didn't have, I didn't know where to look for that assistance when I was in this phase of like, fuck man, life sucks. I'm addicted to all this shit and I can't get out of it. Mm. I don't know where to look. I don't have anybody in my circle that has done this before. So for me, it was like a, I had to forge my own path without guidance. Yeah. Just because I didn't know that there was actually, I mean, there's thousands of people out there who could have helped me, but I just, I didn't know where to look. So, um, yeah, that's the purpose kind of really solidified itself in me um, at some point a few years ago. And as I kind of crept along that path, the universe is just like dropping breadcrumbs and uh, <laughs> with like synchronicities. Oh, huge. Yeah. Like the, the ones that you look at, you're just like, okay, fuck, I can't deny that. <laughs> fuck, that's so true. Right? You're just like, who the fuck did that? <laughs> who sent that message? Because that's spooky. <laughs> hey. Yeah. Uh, that's it's cool, man. Cool. Yeah, I've heard that uh, from a few people now. It's like they've actually seen the blessing that Corona's given them, even though it's created some change and challenges. They're like, oh, wow, that really did just unfold for me. So it's cool to hear. Yeah, I, like I I absolutely empathize and can see the, the devastation that it has caused for a lot of people, especially dudes that are like, yeah, they've got a they've got a business and then they've got to take care of the family and they've got all these responsibilities and these employees and suddenly the business shuts down and it's like that's one stress that I acknowledge that I haven't had to deal with. Yeah. Uh, and then even something small like you're in lockdown but you've got to live with three three or four other people and like there's just there's so much that this can do in regards to the the actual virus or whatever and the, the damage that that can do to on the physical level yeah um and then you have these men that they would go to work to kind of escape the living situation at home and then they'd come back and they'd drink and then they'd go to work in the morning to escape the living and then suddenly they're stuck at home and they've got to deal with it so then you have all these women that are dealing with uh, domestic abuse and and these the child abuse cases that have gone up because men just don't have the tools Fuck, so to true. know how to deal with their shit. Yeah. So yeah, this it, this became very clear as a as a purpose, and now it's I have no choice. Good on you, brother. I love it. What's one thing you're really good at? <laughs> uh, drawing. Yeah, I was gonna say apart from CAD drawings. <laughs> <laughs> no, do, you, well, do you draw freehand draw as well? Well, that was the thing I. And this was part of my journey was uh, I should have been an illustrator my entire life. And Whoa. I, when I was three or four, I was drawing nonstop and I loved it. And my dad said to me at some point, don't do that shit. You'll never make any money. Yeah, you've got to monetize your gift. Well, it wasn't follow your gift. It was do something else. Yeah, that's and, true. Uh, so I spent 15 years chasing my tail like, well, if I 
don't if I'm not meant to do what I love, what the fuck do I do? Yeah. So this was this was a, a major, um, I guess in hindsight, gift. Yeah. Um, but one that took me a long time to realize that to realize that it was a gift, yeah. and uh, it was a very painful process to to be told not to do what you love. Um, so you know, I I have it now as a, a bit of a side hustle. People contact me all the time, asking to for me to illustrate things for them and. Like that's it's cool, something man. that I fall back on because I do enjoy it. Yeah, that's awesome. You got to follow what feels good too, eh? Exactly. I love that, man. Then you can do some workman illustrations. We'll have to yeah, put that in the sure back too. burner. Uh, what's one of your biggest fears? Uh, the biggest fear is not reaching my potential. Ooh, fuck. I feel that, man. Uh, how's that shown up for you? Um, it's been something that's... It's one of those things my parents always said, you've got so much potential, but, but you're just so lazy and you just do this yeah. and you do that. And it, it just kind of, it embedded this seed. And then even to the point where my ex-girlfriend said, like, I see so much potential in you. And I was like, oh, fuck, that just rips yeah. open a little scab, doesn't it? Yeah. So... To have gone on this journey and to not have dedicated my entire life to one thing, um, but to just be like dipping my toes into many different things, it's there's kind of this yearning for. I just want to, like, just have like this your one... genius that genius area. Exactly. So, Are you like a jack of all trades? Would you consider yourself Jack of all trades, master of none. Yeah. <laughs> I'll join that queue too, bro. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's... And I, you often hear, like, just put all your time into one thing and just yeah. master that one thing. But it's something that I was talking with my coach about. The reality is that I now have multiple... Uh, a multiple facet kind of a toolbox of things that I work with. And it, it's actually far more beneficial for me because... I have various different people, uh, men and women, come to me for varying things, and there, I. It's not just like a one. I'm not like a one-trick pony. There, yeah. there are different ways that I can assist people. So, yeah. That's beautiful. in the end, it's actually it works well. Yeah, cool, man. What's one of your favorite quotes? Uh, first one that comes to mind is. Um, all right, give me three seconds so I can just frame it. Um, okay. No amount of security is worth a mediocre life chained to a routine that has killed your dreams. Mm, you can see how you needed the time. That's a deep one. <laughs> That's a, what does that mean to you? I, I've got friends that are like they're stuck in jobs and they're making good money, but they hate their job. Yeah. But they're making good money, and it's like they're golden handcuffs, and it's yeah, sure, you got good money, but you're spending more than a third of your life doing something you hate, and at some point, then you're going to retire, and then you're going to use your money. It's like why waste your life? You know what if? What if the universe says that all right, mate, next week you're going to die, but you're going to be spending the next 50 hours in a job that you hate, 
just so you can make money that you're never going to get to spend. Yeah. And yeah. I also know a lot of people that are just following their dreams and living their fucking their highest calling and not making great money, but they're the happiest people that exist. Yeah. So, and this is for me, I got to a, a couple of times where I realized that, man, this, this architecture game is just not for me. If I'm going to be making the money that I'm doing, I might as well be doing it, doing something that I love. Yeah. So that's when the journey started and I kind of left that in the beginning. And Yeah. yeah. Cool, man. Cool. Looking forward to getting into that. What, what's the conscious man to you, Nick? Um, somebody that has an ability to look at his own shit. Yeah. That... Mm-hmm. He does things for a greater purpose rather than doing things for himself. Um, he can lead, he can provide, he's respectful, he blesses others, he inspires others. Um, I think there's a, I wrote about this recently, the, the difference between a boy and a man or an unconscious man and a conscious one is somebody that you know, a boy, he's always doing things for himself. He's doing things so he can get something out of it. Whereas a conscious man does things perhaps to to inspire others or to help others or in service to others. Yeah, yeah. totally resonate with that. What's one thing that challenges you right now? <laughs> um, on a global scale or a, on a personal scale? Oh, man. We've got them all. We've got them all. Whatever's the most real. Uh, ah, fuck, man, to be honest, it's this whole corona thing. It's, mm. <laughs> it's uh, this... What's your feel? What's your feel with it? I mean, it's obviously, it's just not what... If you could take the media out of it, I just, I just love to know the truth because there is you're never gonna, you're never gonna hear what it is, and it's there's such a fear campaign, and you, you know you have to be locked down and you can't move and you've got to wear masks and you and you got to do all the shit, and they're closing down beaches and it's like yeah, but if you look at the reality of what of people that get sick the ones with the lower immune system and everything that these these laws are uh, doing is actually lowering people's immune system. Yeah. So yeah, sure. And then, like the whole, the mask thing just triggers the shit out of me as well. Yeah. But, Not um, a few people like that, for sure. Not wanting to wear yeah. it because it's like blocking your, your, you know, the, what what is it for you that you don't want to wear it? Why you don't want to wear it? Because it's completely ineffective. The only thing it does is stop somebody from sneezing or coughing into an open space. Yeah. But if you're wearing a mask, and it says on the WHO website that the cloth masks are completely ineffective. Yet people, and I saw, I saw a photo of a guy on a plane wearing a G-string around his face. And the, <laughs> that's, that. like, that's the reality. It's like, it doesn't do shit, but neither do the other ones. Unless you're wearing a medical grade mask, these things don't actually do anything. I love that. But it's just this, 
it's uh, it's this fear that really it's just kind of getting implanted, and then suddenly anybody that has a different opinion, they're ignorant or they're conspiracy theorists or all this kind of shit. And so yeah, this is uh, it's one thing that challenges me, but you know everybody gets to do what they want to do, and good luck to it. Yeah, I know a few people that have that same perspective. Um, and obviously it's different all around the world, but David Icke's obviously had some really good research come out that what he's looked into it's very been very, very interesting and that just that just stirs the whole fucking pot up, doesn't it? And that's and you know, then you mentioned David Icke and somebody goes, Oh well, he believes in fucking aliens, so he can't be real and and reptilians and it's like, Yeah, but oh. <laughs> Yeah, it's this it's this <laughs> It's this mainstream, I'm not going to open my perspective to anything else. I'm just going to follow what's in the media because the government would never lie to me. Yeah. It's that whole perspective that just triggers the shit out of me. Yeah, come into discernment, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> what's, what's unconditional love mean to you? Your mother. Just uh, will die for you, hey? Yes, whatever you do, regardless of what you do, I'll still love you. Mm. Um, and I guess the other, the other the, those people that haven't had a good relationship with their mother look at your dog like your dog just looks at you like you're a god and mm. yeah, I guess it's the depth of which you can love yourself gives you this uh, this ability to love, a, love others um, and so unconditional love for yourself which is insanely difficult yeah but it's like unconditional love or just mother yeah I see what you mean there it's like it's like you're gonna you literally drop anything to for that person and you just like you don't care what they do you love them right but then I mean I I have conversations with guys all the time where the mother was just a it was a really abusive or toxic relationship Mm. I mean, but so, we can generalize too, though. Like, in some cases, it might be the dad. So, yeah, I like right. that. Okay. I well, see yeah, that. In my, in, my, in my experience, my mother's love was unconditional. Yeah. And it's one of those, the, the, most, <laughs> the most painful thing she ever said to me one time when I got caught for doing something really stupid was, I'm not angry, I'm just disappointed. And that shit just cut me deep because mm. it's uh yeah you know the love the mother has or the love that my mother has was um i knew that it didn't matter what i did it would always be there yeah. mm -hmm. that's beautiful man the last question for this round is do you believe in a greater power and what is that to you beautiful question uh yeah i do and for a long time I didn't because I I went to a Catholic all-boys school and the priest at the church that I went to growing up was convicted of pedophilia and two of the teachers from my school went to prison and there was just this whole disconnect from their God. So for a long time I dis I became kind of atheist and it was just like, no, nah, doesn't exist, no, nah, not into it. And then I went on the mission, and um, I was in a pretty long period of silence. And it was the 
there was non-duality this whole kind of the theme of this of the the school that I was at and on a deep it was a deep realization and you know you can have God experiences on psychedelics or whatever but to do it without any substance to realize that you are God mm. and when people say we're all one and we're all connected and whatever there's there's so many potential uh, understandings of that but to to realize that you are God and I am God and she is God and he is God and we are just we are all in the ocean but we're also an entire ocean in a drop and it's this consciousness this higher consciousness um, that I feel is the higher source and when you tune into that um, yeah, you can go. It's like a little rabbit hole. Yeah. It's um. Would you it's, say it's like a field, Would you say it's a field of intelligence that is like far beyond our 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 current like reality or perspective of our reality? I don't know if it's far beyond it. I think it's always it's always here and it's always existing, and yeah. it's about taking the mind out of the way and allowing ourselves to, to tune into that and drop into it. Yeah. Um, because, and according to you speak to, we're all already enlightened, yeah. but it's just we're so, we have so much clutter in our minds that kind of get in the way of that. Mm, I feel that, man. I feel that. So, if we move into your personal journey now and, and talk about what it's looked like from you going from unconscious to conscious. The first question is, what did your life look like as unwoke and what does it look like compared to now? Um, <laughs> unwoke was, was... Who was unwoke, Nick? <laughs> when I was in my 20s, I was quite violent. Um, I was training in a lot of martial arts and doing a lot of weights and drinking a lot um, I was living in Melbourne and I'd go out and we'd get into fights and I saw it as something fun to do um, but that was because I lacked leadership I lacked guidance I lacked I was looking the the kind of father figure or the role model I was looking for I was looking in the wrong spot and I was hanging around with a bunch of guys that this is what they did um, so I ended up, it was about that time where I had this little, the first kind of awakening and I was like, all right, this is really fucking silly. Um, but I was living in a spot where I, I couldn't change who I was. Everybody thought, everybody knew who I was and I had this kind of persona and this like, okay, that's him and that's what he does. So I ended up moving to Perth. Um, started studying and I changed everything. I changed the way I dressed. I changed like who I was basically to who I, who I wanted to be. Um, and then I started to do meditation classes and all this kind of stuff. Wow. But I was still drinking multiple times a week. I was still smoking and addicted to things that I was just, that's kind of when I started to get into drugs as well. Yeah. Um, 
and I was studying. So I was like, and I was having a lot of sex and I was just, it was like a really, I don't know how to be a man. So I'm going to do all the things that I, I admire in other people. Um, which is, again, it was a really fucking twisted outlook. Yeah. But that's the way it was. So then I met my partner and then we moved to New York and we're living in New York and a very, very good friend of mine um, was also pretty heavily into drugs and it was just kind of, um, it was two years of pretty solid drug taking. Um, and there was no drive, there was no connection to anything. There was, it was a really, I kind of look back on as a blank, as kind of like a, a blackout of my life. Like there was a two, a two year period where it was just like, it was a complete and utter fucking waste of a life. Um, but it also taught me an immense amount about who I was and what I, what I was doing and where I was going. Yeah. So then we ended up moving to Berlin and that's when I first started to get into yoga and I first started to go a little bit deeper into these things, but I was still very much into drugs and alcohol. Wow. Um, so then it was 2014 when life just kind of from one day to the next swapped or switched up. And um, wife had an affair and I ended up, that was the beginning of the journey for me. So I ended up giving up everything that I was doing, yeah. giving up my lifestyle and my apartment and ended up going traveling and went traveling for almost four years. Four and a half years. Um, and that was, the, that was the time I was like, okay, now I get to be serious about all this stuff. And that was when I started to deep dive into meditation and yoga and darkness and the jungle and um, sacred sexuality. And it was a real, like my life before and my life now are, are very, very different. So I stopped wow. drinking four years ago or something, wow. um, gave up drugs and gave up porn, gave up mindless sex and just really tuned in to what I was what I was here for. And I had to go on this journey. I had to go through this darkness to get to where I am. Yeah. Because I can absolutely tune into the darkness of almost everybody I meet and mm. say, Yeah, brother, I feel you. I've fucking been there. Mm. Yeah. yeah, that's like the greatest pain is also your greatest purpose, right? Exactly. You, what was driving you to want to change, to just, just go no alcohol? Like, what was the biggest drive for you? I've always had this, this little flame inside of me. I was, when I was in my early 20s, I was like, fuck. And all these Buddhist monks, they, none of them eat meat. Yeah. What's the point of, like, what's, I wonder what that's about. And I always had this feeling that I'd always give up meat. Yeah. And then I was in a, I was in a meditation school when I was at university, and this guy's like, "All right, I want you." Go. It was an eight-week thing, and at the end of it, we started with twenty-four people or something. At the end of it, there was three of us left, 
Shit. And he's like, was that like you a guys have. No, it was like a. It's called Shri Chimnoi. Um, you would have seen this guy's poster around. It's all around the world. The yeah. guy died when he was, I don't know, twenty years ago or something. He died, but he was in his eighties and he was a world power, world champion powerlifter and he would run ultra marathons and he'd played twenty seven <laughs> instruments and. But it's it was also a little bit cultish this whole thing for me and okay. he said you know, you guys can join but you're gonna have to give up meat, alcohol, drugs and sex. Whoa. And at the time I was I think 25 and I'm like, no fucking way, dude. Like <laughs> I'm just I'm not there yet. And then when I end up going, it was just a process. Like I knew I'd always give up meat. Yeah. So something inside vegan. you was telling you. Yeah, I just knew that it wasn't. I, I mean, it was a full-on carnival. I'd eat steak for breakfast, and yeah. but I just knew that there was a, a different way. And then the alcohol, I realized that I'd, there probably wasn't a two-week period where I didn't go without having a beer since I was 15 or 16. Shit. And so when I was 33, I was like, all right, now I'm not around people anymore that know that I drink. I'm just going to fucking stop drinking. Yeah. Um, Price consciousness, baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and when I stopped drinking, then everything else was like, well, why do I need to do that, actually? And then the deeper into meditation I went, I was like, actually, why do I, why do I want to do any of that? Mm. And, you know, I'm not... I learned the whole... The whole thing about being dogmatic, I learned that very very clearly when I was vegan and the first couple of years I was like militant vegan one of those really fucking annoying vegans yeah so and yeah. and um and in the end I just got sick of my own bullshit so <laughs> it's I remember in the very beginning it's like oh, I'm never drinking again and then like six months later I'd have a beer with my dad it's like all right so it's I don't drink and if I go out here in Berlin, I'll have an alcohol-free beer if I feel like it, but I'd rather drink kombucha and water. Mm. And a lot of my friends are like, you fucking loser, what are you doing? It's like, all right, man, different path. Like, yeah. I don't care. And then suddenly people would stop inviting me to things because I wouldn't party and I wouldn't do this. And But actually, it's, it's also okay. Yeah. Um, but it was just something deep inside that's like, if I want to reach my full potential, then I'm not going to be do it. I'm not going to be able to do it by going out and getting hammered on the weekends and jerking off every day and this kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, I feel that, man. Man, it was such a such a journey, bro. Such a path. Was your was your biggest vice alcohol, or was it you know drugs and alcohol? Was it sex? What was it actually that was really grabbing hold of you? Um. I mean, alcohol was the thing, like, as soon as I'd drink, then I'd get on to something else. Um, but porn was also a different one. It was just anything I could do to numb the pain of my existence. And the alcohol and porn, like, too. Towards, yeah, it, I mean, it went through phases. Porn was a big one since I was, I reckon, 18, uh, back when we had dial-up speed in Australia. Oh, man. Um, and you get your 10 second clip and it'd take you 30 minutes to download it. And um, you'd use that for a good six months. 
Mm. Um, I think porn was the biggest one actually for a long because it was just so present consistently, even through all my relationships. Mm. And uh, it was one of the biggest destructive forces of my marriage mm. um, and my inability or just an unknowing of sexual energy and, and mm. like the power of it and to just kind of fucking lose my energy to something that was doing me no good mm. constantly multiple times a day. Mm. And then alcohol was the other one because um, yeah, it was just a very easy way. To, oh, it's cultural. It's legal. I'm allowed to do it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, sure. You can do whatever you want, but is it serving you? Right. Not at all. Yeah, totally agree. Totally. What what emotion challenge you most? Anxiety, anger, fear, shame, guilt, sadness. That's a solid question. Uh, one thing I learnt recently was, I, and it, it came up a couple of times. I ended up taking mushrooms with my parents in Amsterdam, and there was a really powerful moment of witnessing my mom getting put onto my dad and then them both projecting it onto me. But being on mushrooms, I was able to kind of step back and witness what was happening and then realizing that this had happened my entire life. But as a child, I never had that ability or that awareness to kind of look at that. So, so she, put, she projected about, anger, did you say? No, anxiety. Anxiety, wow. So she, she, there was this moment, I mean, it was, in hindsight, it was pretty silly given the location because we were just in a park and there was other people around and mum had never done it before. Um, but she started to get anxious and then project her anxiety onto dad and then dad and mum were like, oh, and they put theirs onto me. And I was just able to really feel into it and see what was happening and really get a profound insight into my childhood um, and to see the feelings that I that had arisen, that I'd always had them, but I just assumed that they were normal. I didn't realize that as a child I was super fucking anxious. Um, and this has been a, it was a really big thing for me to, to realize that because it was just, I never thought it was a thing. Yeah. Um, I'd rarely, I mean, I definitely, I was in a men's circle recently and I had this feeling of like, you know, I never fucking get angry. And then of course the universe dealt me out a few, a few, a few examples of actually, no, I do get angry and it's fucking beautiful. Mm. Um, and it's what we do with that anger, which is important. Yeah. Whereas back when I was, uh, a younger, immature, the eighteen-year-old boy. Yeah, the eighteen to twenty-year-old. Mm. The anger would just come out. Yeah, it was. I mean, anger is as well is more grief, unprocessed grief, and a sadness of not knowing who I was and not knowing what I was doing. And I'd just put that. I'd pent that up into rage and then drink until it was able to spew out on somebody else. So now I have everything I need to do to be able to process that now. So the anger comes up, I sit with it. I actually really enjoy the feeling of anger. Um, 
and it's a really beautiful tool to use to put towards something else. Yeah, channel that energy. So it was anxiety and, yeah. and anger, really, like if you look back. Yeah, yep, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Did you contribute those emotions to a specific thing? Like, I know you said your mum and your dad had, you'd seen that, that anxiety in there in your whole life. Like, you can contribute those emotions to a specific situation or situate a bunch of situations in, in your upbringing? Yeah, there was times when I was a child or even a teenager where I would be in a public space and I'd have to give a talk and I'd start crying. And I was like, what the fuck is this? Like, I, I couldn't understand why. Sure, there's people get nervous or whatever, but I'd full on, like I'd, my nervous system was a wreck and I'd just break down. And I, I could not give a speech, even if it was a happy speech at somebody's party or a wedding or whatever, I could not give one without crying. Wow. And I just I had no idea what that was about until I started on this journey and started to realize the intergenerational trauma that I'd accumulated and started to really dig this up and to really heal these things. I realized that I was just carrying the pain of my parents and my grandparents. Because uh, you, so, you can go back, now they're showing you can go back to between five to seven generations in yeah. through epigenetics. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, so if you look at, you look at our parents, like my dad was born eight years after his father came back from war. And his, his father's generation is a generation of you either go to war as a soldier or you're a breadwinner for a family of 10 kids and you have no purpose other than to make money or to defend your country. Yeah. And there is no, like, there's no therapy. There's no fucking, there's nothing we, we're going to offer you to allow you to heal all the trauma that you've received. Yeah. And then they just give it to their kid and then their kids give it to us. And it's yeah. just a, until you do the work and, start healing you're just going to continue to pass that on yeah man i feel that for sure what about forgiveness have you found forgiveness for these experiences have you like so let them go you started processing them oh absolutely yeah it's, it's been um, a big part of your journey yeah. yeah yeah forgiving yourself for all of the, the negative self-talk and for this kind of stuff is a really powerful thing yeah um and i have clients where i, I really I see myself in them because I, uh, I, I fuck it, I'm shit at this. I'm no good. I don't deserve this. All of this kind of the way they speak about themselves. It's like, bro, I hear you. Yeah. But once you once you see the light in all of your, I think you said it before about the the wound and the darkness is like your greatest gift, or it's it's the depth of your purpose comes from that. It's if we can look at our experiences as something beautiful and as a, as a stepping stone to mm. our evolutionary process, then it's far more beneficial than to say, oh, that happened to me and that sucks and I can't believe I did that and I'm such an idiot. And so self-forgiveness is huge. And then to realize, especially with your parents, they can only give you the love that they receive themselves, yeah. basically. Yeah. So, ultimate forgiveness there if you just purely see them for their experiences. 
absolutely. I, like I sat with a with a shaman in it was in Guatemala a few years ago, and he said, "Don't blame your father." I said, "Fuck, man, what do you mean? We have a great relationship." And he just smiled at me and said, "Okay, just don't blame him." You ch-. and I sat with that, and I was like, "Holy shit!" So basically, and it's you know again, it's only my perspective, my opinion, but our souls choose the path for what we need to be healed. Yeah. So before you're born, the soul's like, "All right, I need to heal this wound and this wound and this, and then so that's where I'm going to go, and these are the people I'm going to be with." And you're born into this life that gives you the exact experiences that are going to trigger those wounds and give you the chance to heal them. And so every experience, it's like if you look at it from that perspective, it's not a, oh, fuck, why did this happen to me? It's a, oh, well, thank you. And how can I, what can I learn from this? Yeah. How can I go about healing this? Yeah, I totally resonate with that, bro. Whose love did you crave most growing up? And who did you have to be to get it? Was it dad? Yep. Yeah, because mum just poured it on. And dad was quite avoidant and, uh, you know, dealing with his own shit. So I was never really good enough to meet his expectations. Um, so yeah yeah for sure it was dad what did you have to do to meet his expectations I don't know man I never did (laughs) (laughs) but have you how is the relationship now yeah it's insane it's it's super beautiful I mean you're doing mushrooms in a park surely it's pretty good yeah we I've been doing this men's work for a few years now and to the father wound is one of the really most profound things you can start to do work on. So we took mushrooms together in Nepal for the first time a few years ago. And there was this barrier of, for him, the whole family was there, but there was this barrier for him of, I'm your father. You do what I say. I can't trust you. So that was, that was my feeling. So when we, finally convinced him that doing mushrooms was a good idea and he did it his entire world changed because he saw that what we were doing we weren't just going off and taking drugs we weren't going into a fucking club and snorting ketamine off a toilet seat we were doing something which fundamentally shifts your perspective on life and it opens opens you up to to an entirely new reality with like he was 63 or something when he did it for the first time. Uh-huh. And it's like, imagine your entire life, over 60 years, you're living with these blinkers on. Oh my God. And dude. then suddenly somebody comes along and they turn on a light switch. <laughs> and you're like, holy shit. And there's, I've heard this, this metaphor that you're walking in, going through life, you're walking, it's like walking through darkness with a torch. And when you take a psychedelic, it's like somebody turns the lights on. Yeah. And then for this brief moment in history, in, in time, you just you have this perspective which is far greater than anything you'd ever get without it. Yeah. So for him, that happened when he was in his early sixties, and so it shifted everything. He 
he realized that he could trust me. He realized that I can teach him. It's not I'm his son and he has to teach me anymore. It's like we're adults and we're both on our own journeys and we can actually have profound experiences if he just fucking lets it happen. Mm. Um, and this, this unbelievably shifted the entire dynamic of our relationship to the point where we're almost like best friends. Mm. And um, this then afforded us the opportunity to go deeper into our past and say, okay, man, I love you, but I, I want us to acknowledge that as a father, you weren't there for me. Yeah. And I didn't even get to say it. And he said, I just wish I would, I want to be there for my grandchildren like I wasn't there for you kids. Whoa. And this just fucking blew me open. It's like, man, for somebody who has been emotionally voidant his entire life to open up and to accept his kind of challenges as he was growing up as a father, I could, feel, I could literally feel the intergenerational trauma just dissolve as yeah. he said that. Wow. And it was it was one of the one of those epic conversations my entire life. That's so good. It's like gene closed, <laughs> never to be expressed <laughs> again. <laughs> it's like that door door closed. <laughs> That's cool, man. What about one of the lowest points in your life? Did talk us talk to us about that? And, and was suicide ever a factor, Nick? In your life? Yeah, man. Suicide was a. It it never went further than a few very inquisitive thoughts and like how would I do it and I mean for sure I was I've had moments of very depressed times um, especially lacking purpose that was the thing that really fucked me because I was kind of in the beginning of my life I wanted to be an illustrator and it's kind of like having the roadmaps, like, all right, this is the direction I'm going. And then the dad's like, all right, fuck the map, go in a different direction. <laughs> and that's, it was like, oh shit. Yeah. So lacking that purpose really, yeah. it really sent me into a fucking spiral. Um, but the lowest point, and it's, it's so interesting. The, so I'll get, I'll get to that in a second. The lowest point for me was by far when I found out my wife had an affair. Yeah. and it was in hindsight it was the greatest thing that ever happened to me it was like it was the fucking step from my old life to my new life yeah. and I'm profoundly grateful to her and the guy and we're actually all good friends and like wow. it's a really that's so good it needed to happen yeah you, you see that but, now in hindsight yeah I, I saw it I mean, I was very, I saw it a few months after it happened, but I was very much, I was a fucking angry man for quite a while. Yeah. Um, but there was this period of, I had put all of my happiness eggs in her basket. Wow. And then from one day to the next, it was just ripped apart and like, oh, my fucking life's falling apart. Oh, what am I going to do? But. And I remember this one day, I 
I woke up sweating and crying from a nightmare. And I called my sister and I was like, I need help. Like, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. And I can feel myself going deeper and darker and to the point where, like, I want to fucking kill this guy and I don't know how to get out of it. And I was also at this point, like, fuck it, what's the point? What's the point in any of it? Um, And I had this, you know, it... She, her advice to me was go help someone. I was like, I can't fucking help myself. How am I going to help? And she said, find somebody else that needs help. So I ended up meeting this woman who she had an autistic child who needed 24-hour care and she had nobody to help her. Her, her husband walked out on her and this woman was, she was fucked. She had nothing. And she she had to get volunteers off Craigslist to come and help her. Whoa. I sat with this woman and, I, and her child and I was talking and it was, it was almost like I just became a therapist for her while she had to watch her kid. She could just offload all of her pain onto me and I was like, holy shit, what am I fucking worried about? And I was in a silent retreat and at the end of the, I was still dealing with the pain of the of the end of the marriage, but this guy gets up at the end of the silent retreat, and in my head I had this story going, "Oh, my wife had an affair," and this guy gets up and says, "When I was a child, I was living in Kashmir, my entire family got murdered in front of me." I was like, "Fuck, man! What a what a shift in perspective." So, and like I don't discount everybody's trauma is their own, and it's yeah. like. Like there's no way I'm not going to discount any of it, but it was a really beautiful perspective switch to see that others' pain, others' pain can be so much greater than my own. Oh, it's not. No, that's that's not fair. My pain was fucking real. Um, you but, felt it the same way, but it was relative. Like you just like fuck. it's re- exactly it's re- it's relative. And to yeah. see to see somebody else's pain, it's like okay. Actually, I'm super fucking grateful for my life. Yeah. Like, everything I've got in my life, everything that I've been through, I didn't have to experience that. And wow, okay. I'm, and, and having that gratitude is one of the biggest things because it's so easy to get stuck in this downward spiral of like, everything sucks, everything's going wrong, nothing's good. And it's like, yeah, dude, but stop. Name five things you're grateful for. Oh, well, I've got this and I've got this. It's like, man, that's fucking incredible. Yeah. So. Good on you, man. You've really leaned into that, eh? And just like fully fucking witnessed who you are and, and how you can participate in this uni- universe. It's, it's beautiful, bro. What was a significant mm. moment of awakening for you? I had one when I was, I think I was 17. But I didn't have the, I didn't have the capacity or the teaching to help to actually take me from where from this moment forward. So I just kind of let it dissolve, and I was, I was going through a really difficult phase in life, and I just I was so stuck in my head, and I didn't have any idea what I was doing, and I just sat down, I started writing. 
and I didn't, it didn't have to make sense. I just kept on writing and I wrote page after page after page and just anything that came up. I might have been having one thought that I was writing down and suddenly another thought comes up, so I just start to write the other thought. And I wrote for hours until there was nothing left. And I sat in this chair, and I fucking remember it like it was yesterday. I sat in this chair and no matter how much I tried, I couldn't think of anything. There, was no, there wasn't a single thought in my head. And I was in this complete state of bliss. And it was the first kind of samadhi experience that I'd ever had. But so this was like if I had a, if I had my time again, I would have been like, okay, I need to find a teacher that can that I can You'd speak to about that. this. Yeah. yeah. So at the time, I was just like, oh well, fuck it, I'll go do something else, and that was it. So that was the first major one. Um, I did. How old were you when I, you had that? Sorry. It was like 17 or something. Wow, okay. Well, this is while you're on that very unconscious path where that oh, yeah, little boy was running around. Yeah. Um, yeah, I ended up finding, last year I, I found a journal that I was writing in and I was reading through the stuff that was on my on my mind back then. And I was like, wow, dude, that's, uh, you've come a long way. Wow. Um, but there, I sat in a period of silence for about 40 days and there was multiple awakenings and multiple periods of samadhi and of just a realization that like there's, there's nothing, you know, the masculine seeks freedom and it's such a big thing because everything we do, it's about chasing freedom. You know, we try and make more money so we can be free from having to work. We try and a lot of guys want to sleep with other women because they want that sexual freedom. But the greatest freedom that we can afford ourselves is to silence the mind and to sit eight hours a day for 40 days and for the mind to just be still and to just be in complete serenity, complete freedom. Um, there isn't a fucking drug that that's like it. So, but that yeah, that was also not without its challenges. Yeah, for sure, man. What what healing was a big part of your journey? I mean, you talked about plant medicine, uh, meditation yeah. retreats. What was the what were the most what was, what type of modalities were the biggest factor for your healing? Uh, there was uh, there was four. The first one came about not through, not really by choice in the beginning. It was I more got kind of, you know, the synchronicities we we're talking about in the beginning. I was in, I was in Mexico. I was traveling in Guatemala, and somebody talks about a dark retreat. What's a fucking dark retreat? He's like, oh, you sit in darkness for a few days. Like, oh, sounds stupid. Why would you do that? <laughs> and I met somebody else, and he's like, yeah, I'm looking for a dark retreat. I'm like. Whoa, man. What is this dark? And then I met another guy who, who turns out he became my mentor and he's like one of my closest brothers on the planet. And he's like, yeah, I did a dark retreat for three weeks with my ex-partner. I'm like, man. And I told him my story and he's like, yeah, fuck plant medicine, go sit in the dark. Whoa. Like, 
So I went to ended up going to Guatemala and I sat in darkness for eleven days. How the fuck was that? Uh, man, if you ever want to go to hell, go sit in darkness. Whoa. Hell is just hell and heaven are both different aspects of your mind, and you can live in either at any point. And to sit in a space where you can't see your hand in front of your face and all you have is your mind. Are you in silence? Uh, you don't have to be. I was by myself. So at some point I started chanting and whatever and I was fucking crying a lot. So where'd you eat? Um, How did you eat? There's a slot in the wall. So somebody would deliver food. They'd lift the slot up. They'd ring the bell. They'd close the slot. And then I'd lift the door up. Take Whoa. the food out. But you, you eat, you shit, you shower, you do everything in the dark. Um, and I'd never done, like I did a yoga teacher training just before it, but I'd never done long periods of meditation. I really didn't have a solid practice and it was very fucking, it was very silly to do it the way that I did it. Um, did you sort of I induce did. some sort of psychosis events at times? <laughs> <That's sweet. laughs> Jesus, man. It was like, it was like, you know, all this shadow work. If you want, if you want to look at your shadows, go fucking do that. <laughs> you know, I was having these trains of thought, which I'd never, like I was digging shit up from when I was a kid and really dark, painful shit. I was just like, whoa, where is this coming from? And then I was just, it was coming out and it was just like, it was like fucking years of therapy in 11 days. Um, and then the DMT starts to come and then after a while it just it's like a very, very beautiful journey and it's but it's it's one of the hardest things I ever did because it's just you yeah. can't escape it. It makes me nervous thinking about it and I'm like that's why I need to do it. Oh dude. Even what what about integrating afterwards? How was that? Like coming out to the light? Did you come out at night? No, I came out uh just before sunrise. So, and it was it was at the place called Lake Atitlan in Guatemala, which is oh, it's beautiful there. It's like just magic. Yeah. So I was sitting up on the hill watching the sunrise, and then um, I ended up. I was on my way to the jungle. So I ended up okay. So yeah, after that, a few weeks after that, I ended up in Mexico in the jungle, and ended up drinking ayahuasca for the first time, and released trauma of which I'd never, like I knew it was inside of me, but it was, it was like something else. I fucking screamed like I'd never screamed before. And um, it was so powerful and so beautiful. And that started the journey of, and then I went to Peru after that and stayed in the jungle for a while. Um, yeah. And in this period of time, I started with the Cambo as well. Yeah. So Cambo, for me, it's like one of my greatest gifts and one of the most beautiful medicines you can you can deal with. And the other thing is breath work. Yeah. So breath work, as far as an emotional healing, is phenomenal. Eh? It's almost second to none. Yeah. 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 Wow. What's been one of your best like modalities of, or favorite modalities of breath work? Um, 
As in what type of breathwork? Yeah, what ones do you sort of do most? I trained in biodynamic breath and trauma release. Yeah, cool. Um, which is, it's, you know, it's like your hour and a half of just proper, continually conscious breathing. And yeah. I've seen the most... I mean, I've also experienced for myself as well the most power that comes from that. And so it's, it all stems from... Uh, most of these things stem from the holotropic breath from yeah. Stanislav Grof. So, um, and then, you know, the Wim Hof style, which is very similar also, is incredibly profound. And then I have my own pranayama practices, which I do and which I teach. Um, awesome. But the breath, like, we don't, we don't utilize... The most powerful tool we have with our yeah. breath, and it's it's fucking incredible. It's so crazy when you see so many like the this release in the body after breathing for a specific amount of time. Eh? I'm just like, the fuck was that? <laughs> oh I man, this, so I had this one experience where when I was eight, I had this girlfriend at school, yeah. and she was like the fucking to me, she was it. Like I didn't, I had one best friend and then had a couple other people that I was kind of hanging around with, but I was new to the school and I was just madly in love as much as you can be when you're eight. <laughs> and this, this fucking friend of mine, he came over one night and he's, we're playing Monopoly and he's like, oh, you don't like about her. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, tell me something you don't like about her. He's like, there's nothing I don't like. I like, no, just tell it. It's like, oh, she has these shorts that I don't like. And I get to school the next day and her friend comes up and he's like, she's like, yeah, she's broken up with her. She's dating this other guy now. I said, what do you mean? Yeah, you said you don't like her shorts. Oh, what? Are you fucking kidding me? So this guy <laughs> dogged me more than anything I've ever experienced before, stole my girlfriend and left me with this wound, which I didn't realize. Mm-hmm. Almost 30 years later, I'm in breath work. And I'm in this deep process, and suddenly this memory of this dude just like fuck off, really clicks up in my mind. I'm like, and I fucking scream, and it's just like thirty years of buried trauma just gets released in this one moment. Whoa, man! And do you think that that has played a role in like your relationships as well, like that fear of oh, losing someone? Hundred percent. Fuck, dude, that's crazy, yeah. man. Yeah, this it's a fear of rejection, and it's a fear of abandonment, and not setting boundaries and all of this fun stuff that's like there's a thing called the Mr. Nice Guy Syndrome and it's guys that don't have that capacity to set boundaries and they'll do whatever it takes to make other people happy disregarding their own needs and this this was the catalyst for a lot of my wounding in my entire life which is like looking back and I Okay, that's why I, I behave like this in a relationship because yeah. there's this fear of this, and yeah, that's wild, man. What, what, so, speaking of that eight-year-old friend, how did your um, how's your friend group changed as you've changed? Um, well, you sort of mentioned that they that stopped inviting. Yeah, yeah, waker. Um, I wish him well. I don't know what he's doing. Uh. Yeah, I moved to Berlin. Like, I have my, my group of mates growing up in Australia, and they're all very much on their own path, doing their own thing. They've got families and whatever. I moved to Berlin, and I had this incredibly beautiful friendship group here. 
and now they've all got families and they've all got this kind of stuff going on. And then I've got this, uh, the kind of party crew that I was hanging out with in the beginning and um, they're still partying. Yeah. And then I've got this, the, like the men's group, group and these are the brothers that ask you how you're feeling and how your heart is and where can they hold you accountable and like the ones that the, the fucking the friends that you need basically yeah the men that you need in life that really guide you into being a better man fuck that's beautiful man that's so mm. so well well sort of structured and, and illustrated for people here listening it's really cool i totally relate with that man it's like as your values change the values of your environment will just connect to that it's like you plug into that you know that table or whatever that's all those people are sitting there with a the like run of values exactly. and, and what part of this conscious journey are you most grateful for brother uh, I reckon the beginning just that that awakening of like definitely not the dark retreat eh? <laughs> <laughs> um not at the I mean, moment, every, every day is just that there's more lessons and there's a deeper process that comes up and yeah. just when you think you have shit worked out, somebody comes along and just <laughs> shows you that you don't have a clue. Yeah. And my my ex-girlfriend, like she's fucking amazing, but she said to me, and it makes it made me laugh in the moment, but it was also like a a pretty fucking poisonous slap. She's like, why can't you be the man you pretend to be? Jesus. Like, oh, fuck. Fucking hell. What does she mean by that? Um, a lot of the stuff that I, I, a lot of the work that I do is around conscious relating and um, conscious sexuality and this kind of stuff. <clears throat> and... You know, obviously dealing with sh with your shadow and your triggers, and and when you're in a relationship, it's a it's a whole new it's a whole new ballgame. But I've never once said that the things that I post on my Instagram, this is where I'm at, or this is what I do. Um, it's a journey for everybody, including myself. So there's there's something that I posted. I can't even remember what it was something that I posted about a relationship and um, perhaps it was about listen, conscious listening or something. And we ended up going through, it was a very intense but beautiful relationship where it was just, it was proper reflection the whole time and just like, um, there was no letting up. It was like fucking, there's a trigger, there's, okay, how do we deal with, okay, let's do it next. Tomorrow, okay, here's another trigger. Right, fuck. So at some point, the relationship was just like, all right, this is, you know, when we're together and it's beautiful, it's insanely beautiful, but it's 80% of the time it's hard work. So at some point, we broke up and I triggered her after we'd broken up. And then she dropped this little banger on me. So it's just a reminder to embody, embody what you say. Yeah, and it's a, there's that, but it's also the reminder of the work never stops. Yeah, so true. Um, and Stay a student know, for life, though. 
Exactly. And continually try and learn. Yeah. And this is why like, now I've got coaches and I've got these other people that it's like, all right, I need to fucking, I need more. Yeah. I need to educate myself as much as possible all yeah. the time. Yeah. I love about that too. Cool, man. What, this is the last question. What's one tip that you would give your younger self, your old self, who's just starting this journey? Uh, the biggest one is follow your heart always. Yeah. It's never fucking wrong. And if you don't know which one your heart is, do the one that scares you the most. Um, lean into that. Lean into discomfort. Yeah. Like you're never going to grow being comfortable. That's so true. And right? over only the past si- only few sideways. Years, <laughs> on the couch. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Over the past few years, fear has kind of become my compass. And I had this, I was talking to a mate at uh, the end of last year about starting a men's festival. And as I was speaking it out, I felt this intense fear rise up of like, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do it. Like all of this self-doubt came up and it's like, wow, okay, that's exactly what we're going to do. Uh-huh. And yeah, it's cool. it's just it's leaning into that discomfort, leaning into the fear of the unknown. Because you know there's a there's a beautiful purpose in it, so you want to get your head out of it and put your heart into it. Exactly. And there's yeah. another quote: "Is that our fears are like dragons guarding our deepest treasures." And you know that. You know, I like that. Once you once you just shine a little bit of light on a fear, it just dissolves, and it's mm-hmm. uh, and you go, "Oh fuck, that's actually not so bad." Yeah. that's cool brother well thank you so much Nick for joining me man and dialing in I know you got up a little earlier this morning from where you are to join me I really appreciate mm-hmm. you sharing your journey man and it's, it's been actually a beautiful uh, conversation yeah um, dude there were some powerful questions that I haven't been asked before so <coughs> thank you uh, some people have it's like it's. I wonder if like mm, should I send like I'm debating should I send the questions or not to people, and I'm like, I sort of like the last minute responses because then it's like you get less time being in the head. Yeah, I was going to ask you, and then because I've done a, a number of podcasts, and it's always like, oh, can you send me the questions first? And then I get a chance to read and like create the answer, and it's like, oh, fuck it, let's just do it on the fly. Yeah, so, yeah, I appreciate that, man. It was good. <laughs> yeah, well, if anyone listening now wants to reach out to you, bro, they'll, I'll have your Instagram handle in the bio if anyone's in Berlin listening to this and um, if anyone does need any support on this journey just tune into this tune into you know both of our social media channels and, and reach out for sure but you're definitely not alone until next time I'll catch you again peace Whoa, man Bring love and just be I got love in my eyes, bro, I can't see I'm gonna be who I'm destined to be Wokeness is taking my old self away Yeah, I put love into me I'm spreading that love, yo, don't you see Grab your cacao and drink it with me Cause wokeness is taking my old self away Woke man, wokey woke man Woke man, wokey woke man Woke man, wokey woke man Bring love and just be Woke man, wokey woke man, woke man, wokey woke man, woke man, wokey woke man. 
bring love and just be.